0: that make the space such a fascinating and dynamic area of practice. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Today, we're joined by Jonathan Katch. John is a partner at Cravath in the Executive Compensation and Benefits Group, but he was also a tax associate for a time, which we'll hear about. John, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, Len. It's great to be here. And I'm uh, really excited to talk today.
0: Uh, where do we have to go in your life or development as a, as a lawyer or a legal professional to chart a path into the tax law? Where do you think it starts?
1: I think it starts in college. I did not want to be a lawyer. Uh, not that I had anything against being a lawyer, but I did not think I was going to be a lawyer for quite a while. My first goal was to be an economist, You know, either in professional setting or academic setting part of the reason I took that turn at some point was because I like math. But at some point, I just decided academia, you know, economics was not for me. And I'm sort of one of those people that went to law school because I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. And while I was there, tax law kind of popped up as something I thought I would be really interested in because I like things with Usually clear answers, civil procedure was my favorite class in law school, very strict rules, and that's what you get with tax, and you also get some numbers, so that's how I found my way to tax law.
0: I want to talk about the decision to go to law school and how you sort of went because you weren't sure what else you were going to do. I seem to recall from many conversations with you that after college, I guess, you were a legal assistant at Cravath or a paralegal at Cravath. What do you remember about taking that job and the experience you had while you were in it?
1: Yeah, when I was in college, coming up on graduation, I got an email one day for uh, a resume drop for a firm called Cravath. So I dropped my resume and got a call back, and that's how I ended up here.
0: And how long did you spend in the position?
1: Uh, About a year and a half. I worked in a mergers and acquisitions group at the firm, and that's how I really solidified that I think being a lawyer was something I was interested in. I really liked the I would call it the frenetic pace of M&A at the firm. Everyone was busy. They had things to do. They, everyone had a, a task, and they all seemed really excited about the work they were doing. People worked super hard. So I learned a tremendous amount of work ethic from that job. People were working on matters that ended up in the Wall Street Journal at front page, and it, I thought it was very cool to be able to send uh, an article to your family of something that you worked on that was front-page material.
0: So now you're going to law school, and you actually have quite a good sense about what the law entails, or at least law at firms like this. And I think that is unusual, right? I think to, to have gotten that sense within a short period of time after college and know going into law school about what you expect to be doing when you come out is unusual, and it's unusual among the guests in this podcast. So when you were interviewing And you were looking at jobs. I assume you interviewed at firms other than Cravath, but was it your goal at the time or something else?
1: I interviewed with many of the top firms, you know, in New York. I didn't go to law school thinking that, you know, I'm going back to Cravath. That would be a little presumptuous. And at the end of the day, having the opportunity to come back here, that's where I chose to go and very happy with the decision.
0: And you must have split your summer between tax and corporate, I guess.
1: Yes. So I worked for Steve Gordon, who I know has been a prior podcast guest Mm -hmm. um, for half of my summer. And I did the other half of the summer in corporate finance group in a bank group. But uh, tax, which I knew was the front runner going in, it solidified that I thought I really would love to be a tax lawyer. And so that's the decision I made coming out of the summer program.
0: So I guess you started... In the fall of '07, as a full-time associate. Right. And I was a, just about a third-year associate at the time. I was finishing up my second year. And you and I got assigned to work on a massive transaction together where I was sort of the senior associate and you were the junior associate. It was the Time Warner spinoff of Time Warner Cable, which was already public. Lauren Angelilli was working on that deal as, I think, a senior associate and then a young partner, and Steve as well. There were four people on that transaction in the tax group. All of us became partners. And I remember being incredibly impressed with you, and I also remember being incredibly impressed with the team. I felt like we were a really, really good team. What do you remember about your early days here, the big transaction, that one, and other ones, and how did you feel about the folks you're working with?
1: What I remember about that transaction is working with you and working with Steve and with Lauren, really three people who love to teach more junior lawyers, so I was in very good hands. I remember being taken to a meeting with the client, and the client was super bright as well, just hearing them throw around ideas for how the deal would be structured, and I frankly had nothing to contribute to the conversation other than sitting there. I think I learned a lot in that first year or two just from pure osmosis, sitting with people who clearly knew what they were doing and knew what they were talking about, even if I understood a third of what they were saying, probably on a good day, uh, I learned a, a tremendous amount. And that deal and that experience with that team, I think, is the the foundation of my career and how I learned about how to be a lawyer, how to be a lawyer at Cravath and kind of do this job very well.
0: It's probably worth pausing here and just reflecting on something. I've been doing a lot of interviewing of law students, and I, I've gotten a question more than once. And the question is, what kinds of things can I work on in law school to be a successful associate? And it's a really good question. And I think many law students feel like they should just read a lot of law or study a lot of law because then when they get to wherever they're practicing, they'll have a lot of substantive knowledge. And I think that's wrong, actually. I think that 99% of the tax I currently know, I learned at and I took four really substantive tax classes in law school, but that kind of learning is sort of academic learning. And we do not expect associates to show up with a ton of substantive knowledge. And that's true in litigation and corporate, but it is especially true in a specialty practice area like ours. What we do expect, on the other hand, is people to show up with a good attitude, a good work ethic, as you mentioned, the personal discipline to show up on time with positive energy and a willingness to contribute and make your views known and take copious notes, if that's what it requires, or otherwise to sort of fill in what the team needs. And and I guess I, I wondered if you could give me your thought or sort of answer to this question about how junior lawyers can contribute without having a lot of substantive knowledge.
1: I just want to go back one step on on that question that you're getting from from law students. And I've started telling people that you don't need to take any particular class. If you're going to be a tax lawyer, you probably want to take basic income tax. But more important than that, I think, is doing some things in school that are uncomfortable. And by that, I mean... You know, doing, doing, for example, a clinical program where you're going to do something out of the box that you haven't done before, you may never do again, but you, by being a hard worker and um, rolling up your sleeves, can figure it out, is a good skill. When you're a big firm lawyer here or elsewhere, no day is like the day before mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. You're going to be given projects that are, the first thing you've ever done before, and maybe anyone on your team has done. And you have to be able to kind of, without knowing what you're doing, figure out what you're yes. doing. And I think that's a really good skill to have. So, you know, as an example, in my third year of law school, I did a clinical program where I went to court. And I'm not a litigator, and I never wanted to be a litigator, but I did depositions. Hmm. I did some arguments in New York City housing court. And I knew I was never going to probably use those court skills, but I wanted to see if I could do it and what it would be like. And I think there's something to doing things that are different and uncomfortable that gives you a skill that will be useful later in your career when you're thrown into a novel situation.
0: You know, that point about doing something that's uncomfortable, or at least unfamiliar, that you don't know how to do, I talk about that feature of the cravath system all the time. Because associates ask about the rotation system and how do you get work, and it's okay to understand the rotation system as, you know, a way to assign work. That's fundamental. But… If you think about the effect of the rotation system on a firm full of lawyers who then become partners at the firm and have experience figuring stuff out over 5, 10, 15, however many years, now you've got a group of people who are sort of fearless in the law, right? You know, I, I haven't seen this before, but I hadn't seen, you know, last year's deal before, and I figured that out. And so now you have people who have the confidence, the resilience, the intellectual discipline to stick with something until they've come up with a good solution. And that, to me, is really the secret sauce about what we are doing in terms of training, developing, and then investing in talented junior lawyers.
1: I agree. And maybe we've just had an epiphany that the cravat system isn't about necessarily getting the skills in different practice areas. It's learning something new every once in a while, and it gives you the ability to cope when you're put into novel situations or figure- things out for a client that are new and you haven't really thought about before.
0: Well, this turns out to be an excellent segue for um, the next thing I wanted to talk about, because a couple of years into your associate tenure, you made a switch from the sort of tax group proper into the growing executive compensation and benefits group, which is a cousin of tax. It's a related area of practice. We all sit on the same floor at Cravath, but it is different and it was an opportunity for you to learn something new. Can you talk about what prompted that shift and all these things we've just examined that kind of came to life for you when that happened?
1: So I was in the tax proper group for five years doing all the things that, that you and the other partners do, you know, corporate M and a partnership, transactions, securities, offerings, all of that stuff. And you're right that the, the executive comp group sits on the same floor as the tax team and I knew a lot of those people and we were friendly, but I'll say, frankly, I didn't know exactly what they did. I knew it had to do with stock options and things like that, but I didn't have great knowledge of what they did. And there came a point where due to some needs of the of the group, Steve Gordon, who was the head of the tax group, came over to me. One day, knocked on my office door and said, You want to go grab some pizza? And that was an odd thing because he didn't come take me for pizza very often. Um, <laughs> that was the only time he took me for pizza. Forever. <laughs> um, and I said, Sure. So we went out for pizza, and he said that the exec comp group uh, could use another set of fairly senior hands, even though I didn't know anything about the field. I didn't say yes on the spot, but I Said I wanted to think about it and thought about it over the next couple of days and decided that I was ready for a a new challenge and I would at least give it a try. You know, I I didn't, I wasn't promising I would do it for years or months or any specific period of time, but I would at least help out uh, for the interim period and figure out if it was something I I liked. And I liked it. And we're we're now eleven years later, and I love the field. It was a really good switch for me at the time.
0: A couple of things strike me about the story. The first is you had an open mind, but you know you're a lawyer, so you're careful, you're thoughtful, and you wanted to take a couple of days to think it over and you were also sort of willing to try it. But the, the, all of this kind of put together this Cravath experience of trying something new and not being afraid of the unfamiliar. I mean, you know, as a fifth-year associate to cross the line and start a new substantive area of practice must have been it's exhilarating, but also kind of exhausting and and difficult. Do you remember setbacks? What what was your experience as you kind of ramped up to speed?
1: As as I said, I really, I knew a lot of the people in the group, but I really didn't know what, what they did uh, all that well. And I knew that there were specific areas of law in the tax code that the executive comp group was responsible for. Everyone through around 409A all the time. All I heard was 409A, 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 and I didn't really know what it was. So I said, all right, I'm now in this group. I know everyone's talking about this code section. (laughs) I'm just gonna take out of my loose leaf. I know we, we used the paper copies of the regs at the time, take out of the binder and bring home all these pages about 409A, and I'm gonna read it. And I'm relatively intelligent, so of course, I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll figure it out. And so that was my first approach to this, was read everything you can read.
0: Well, that's a very cravat approach, right? To just try and learn everything that's out there.
1: Absolutely. So I read it, and I would say I understood probably 5% of it off the bat. <laughs> so that, wasn't, that, that was a good approach, but that was not going to be sufficient to figure this stuff out. And there were an R. A lot of really great people in this group at Kravath. So whenever I would have one of those moments where, you know, this is just really new and I'm being expected to do it at a fifth year or higher level right off the bat, and I really don't feel comfortable, there were people that I could go to in the group. And Eric Hilfers is, is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. There was uh, another guy who has been on your podcast before, Larry Pacini, who was in in the group at the time as one of our uh, senior lawyers. And really, whenever I had a question, and a lot of them were really dumb questions, he was a, such a nice guy and would always be willing to answer anything or or you know tell me his view on an on an issue, whether it was a you know, how do you negotiate this? What approach do you take on this issue, or a more technical issue? Mm-hmm. he was He was my go-to guy to uh, to teach me things that i that I didn't know, and there were there were a lot of them. So we've talked
0: to a lot of, a lot of other partners, especially partners at foreign law firms, about the process of becoming a partner. And I don't want to talk about that in your case. I want to take a different perspective on this question and ask, after you became a partner. What struck you as like, wow, this is different than I expected, or this is kind of a different job than just being a really good senior associate?
1: When you're a senior associate, and when I was a senior associate, I certainly had the view that I'm being evaluated for partnership. I'm going to do most of the work myself. I'm going to draft things myself. I'm going to do things myself because I'm the one being evaluated. And when you're a partner, you need to be more of a manager, not a doer. Uh, there's plenty of doing, but there's the importance of becoming a manager and delegating and giving feedback to your team. The initial instinct is, well, I'll just do this myself. And that's the wrong impulse for, for a partner. And uh, the 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 right approach is delegate, manage, but with the appropriate level of feedback and oversight and mentoring of your team, because that's how you develop the best, team by having them know how to do all the things that you know how to do.
0: I think that that's one way of expressing the point that being a good or effective partner is different, very different than being a really good senior associate who's about to become a partner. The other thing I would say is just because you become a partner doesn't mean that you're like fully formed and stop growing. It, It is an important part of a partner's career to learn these skills you're talking about. Delegating, developing, mentoring, teaching, fixing, staffing, figuring out who's the best person on the team to do this task versus other tasks, making sure that those tasks get done on time. Fielding client feedback, both positive and negative about the team. All of those things are important parts of growth that as a junior partner, you need to to practice. Law firms are A little bit binary, you know, generally you're an associate or you're a partner and in firms like ours, there's clear growth trajectory, but within the title and within the experience of being an associate or a partner, there's a growth trajectory all its own that I think is worth appreciating and trying to grow through.
1: The other thing I would say is for someone who was a, I would say a relative latecomer to the substantive area, because I didn't do this right away, I'm learning the substance and learning all these partner skills at the same time. I used to ask Eric, who's the head of the group, who had a similar trajectory to mine, did some time in tax before becoming a, an exec comp lawyer, when do you feel like you've mastered it? You just hit the point that you've never really mastered it. You're always learning new things. And he used to tell me that he felt really comfortable when he had been doing it for about 10 years. And that's a long time to, to be seeing these things before you feel Really comfortable, and I think that's right. That's roughly the timeline on which I started to feel comfortable, starting to see the same questions over and over again, and getting comfortable in the substance. But there's a similar timeline for getting comfortable in the management part of the job. And so I'm in year eight now, so I'm getting to that ten-year mark. But it's always a learning process. It never, you're never done, as you said.
0: That's interesting stuff. So. One of the things that I've observed over the last 10 years or 15 is just tremendous growth in the substantive area of executive compensation and benefits. And, you know, you and I work together closely a lot. I've seen you develop very close relationships with senior people at our clients, you know, chairman of the board with uh, CEOs and CFOs and general counsels. And on certain types of deals, you have a lot of access and also hugely important role to play. I wonder if you can sort of chart the development of the practice. Why is it like that? What about deal work or MA deals brings this practice uh, to such a prominent place? And then how have you adjusted to this reality that you are often – a really critical piece of the deal, not just in terms of the legal analysis, but in terms of actually the personalities and getting called forward to to solve difficult issues.
1: Great question. And this is really one of the things I, I love about the field. When I moved over, even before I became a, a partner and we worked on MA deals, uh, I would sometimes, if I was lucky, get called into the board meeting at clients when they were going to approve an M&A deal or where they were thinking about a new compensation program. And I remember one specific story when after the meeting had, had broken, the, the chairman of the board of a company that was being purchased came down to the end of the, the boardroom table, pulled out his chair and sat down next to me. And I'm kind of like looking over my shoulder, like what what exactly is about to happen here?
0: You want to go and, for pizza?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he says to me something like, you know, young man, I've reviewed your slide deck, and you show on page X that you know if this transaction goes through, you know, my economic entitlements in the deal get me this amount of dollars. Uh, we'll 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 just say it was a lot of dollars. Can you explain to me? how you get to that number. And that moment is one of the key moments in my career when I realized a a couple of things. One is that the, the things that we do in the executive comp field are near and dear to our clients' hearts and pocketbooks. And for that reason, they're extremely interested in what we do in this group and in this field because they have a very direct link to it. The other the other thing that I learned was that I'm often meeting very, very successful business people who are magnates in their fields, and they're experts in what they do, which is running the company, driving operations, making money, making profit for, for the company. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of surprised that they don't have in-depth knowledge necessarily of how the compensation program works at the company. They're doing what they do and they're doing it extremely well, but they need people who are really good advisors to explain to them, you know, how the legal provisions of the company's benefit plans work. You're 100% right that we and I have developed very close relationships with clients. And it's a combination of because the things that we're doing directly benefit them in some ways, or they're very important to them, as you might expect the the compensation area to be, and also because they're very technical and they don't necessarily have time to delve into all the new regulations that the SEC is adopting in this area. And they're relying on, you know, good, smart advisors to help them.
0: All very interesting. So, John, in the few minutes we have left, I'd like to talk to our guests about what what you like to do outside of the tax realm. I know you are an inveterate Mets fan, so you probably follow the Mets closely on a daily basis. And if you want to talk about that, we can. But what else do you like to do when you're not uh, when you're not practicing tax?
1: <laughs> so, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I have a, a great family, amazing wife, Jessica. I have four. Great kids who keep me very busy, and they range in ages from 12 to 2. We're a big sports family, so they play sports. Jessica and I are at games all the time, uh, usually, you know, multiple nights a week, all day on Sunday. That keeps us pretty busy. I've run a few marathons over the years, although I've gotten, gotten a little lax in that recently. We watch a lot of sports, we follow a lot of sports. As you just said, I'm a huge Mets fan. You're a huge Phillies fan, so you give me grief constantly. Um, and it's well, well warranted this year. Um, but one, I tell my my kids, one of these years, they will actually win a World Series. And it's going to feel so amazing having gone through all the down years when they actually do it. So we're looking forward to that. But
0: the Cubs fans had to wait for like, uh, like over 100 years. I hope it's not that long for you all. <laughs> Well, John Katz, uh, an executive compensation and benefits partner at Cravath uh, and a really good friend, one of my best professional friends, and a super close friend within the firm. It has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you.
1: It's uh, It's been a pleasure, and I consider myself now a minor celebrity having appeared on the On Tax podcast, so thank you for having me.
0: Well, I consider you a major celebrity for having appeared on the podcast, but that's great. Thanks again. Thank you. That's all for this episode of On Tax, a Cravath podcast. You can find us online at cravath.com slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you enjoyed the show, please consider rating or reviewing us wherever you listen. We'd also love to hear from you directly. You can tell us what you'd like to hear on the show by emailing podcast at cravath.com. I'm your host, Len Tatey. Thanks for listening.